Hi everyone, it's my privilege to uh, share God's Word with you today and uh, we come now to the close of our series in Nehemiah. So we're doing Nehemiah chapter 13. But before we do, let's just bow together and pray. Loving Father, we thank you for this amazing book of your Word and uh, we thank you that your Word is an amazing Word. And uh, Lord, today we ask that you will help us to understand what you're saying to us through this last chapter of Nehemiah. 13. So we look to you now and we pray for your leading in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week um, in chapter 12, uh, we saw a, a wonderful time of celebration and sacrifice that took place in Jerusalem as the people of God celebrated. They celebrated God and, and, uh, and dedicated to him the completion of the wall. We read words like these, for example, in chapter 12 and verse 43, and on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. You know, it all ended um, in such a positive note, um, as if a, a fire of revival had swept through the hearts of God's people. And how we need that kind of fire today, don't we? Um, and speaking of such a fire... Uh, General William Booth, a founder of the Salvation Army, he once said to a group of new officers, he said, I want you young men always to bear in mind that it is the nature of a fire to go out. He says, you must keep it stirred and fed and the ashes removed. Well, I'm sure that we could all agree that, that that's true. Um, the fire of spiritual fervour of our devotion and service to God needs to be continually stirred and fed. And the ashes, the ashes of past failures and disappointments, that all needs to be removed. The writer of the Hebrews, he, he reminds us of these very things when he says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Though we can't all meet together at the moment because of the COVID-19 and the social distance restrictions, um, we still need to do the best we can in meeting with each other. And in keeping with the social distancing practices, um, along with all the various social media that we have at our disposal, um, we do need to keep meeting and doing the best we can in having that community together as a church. But I tell you what, I'm sure looking forward to the uh, day when we can physically be meeting together again. And I'm sure I can speak for most of us as well, uh, having said that. Uh, because the thing is, the thing is that if we're not stirred and spurred on in our love for God, in our love for his word and for his people and for his service, we can very easily experience the fire, the fire in our hearts starting to dim. It needs to be stirred and spurred. And the world, and the world will very happily accommodate that. It'll accommodate the fire in our hearts going dim and going out. The world will accommodate that along with offering to us its own cheap kind of comfortable compromise. It happened to the people in Nehemiah 13, as we'll see as we come to this final chapter in the book of Nehemiah. 
You see, all the, all the things that they promised to do, um, all the vows that they promised to keep before God, the fire in their hearts for God was going out. I mean, for example, in chapter 10, the Israelites promised not to become involved in mixed marriages. Listen to what is said there in Nehemiah 10 and verse 30. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or take their daughters for our sons. Yet in verses 23 to 31, in chapter 30, we see, we see an entirely different story of compromise and failure. They also promised to keep the Sabbath. They would keep the other appointed feasts and festivals, that they would bring their offerings and their tithes to the storerooms of the house of God. All their promises <clears throat> could be summed up in the last verse of chapter 10 and verse 39, when it says this, we will not neglect the house of our God. That was their promise. But then we read in chapter 13 and verse 11, so I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? So what happened? What changed? Why has the fire dimmed among God's people when it seemed to be burning so bright not that long ago? So what's going on? <clears throat> More importantly, what can you and I learn today from this? What can we learn so that our fire for God doesn't go dim, that it keeps burning brightly and strong. One of the key things that stands out in this chapter is the question of leadership. And so as a leader myself in the church, it speaks to my heart very powerfully. Uh, the presence of godly leadership among God's people is a contributing factor that influences whether our spiritual fire grows or dims. It's not the only factor because in the end, you and I will make our own decisions, our own choices as to whether or, whether or not we're going to be passionate followers of the Lord Jesus Christ or not. You'll make that choice yourself. However, in terms of the presence of godly leadership, we do read in Nehemiah 13 and verses 6 to 7, it says this, while all this, but while all this was going on, and Nehemiah of course is referring to the neglect of God's house and their service to him, so while all this was going on, he says, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Some time later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. So Nehemiah had been in Jerusalem for around about 12 years as the governor of Judah. But then he needed to return to Persia to, kin to the king again, as was the agreement. Uh, which he honoured. And he did honour that agreement. And you know, this is such an important practice that we all need to do today. We need to honour our employers. We, we need to honour our bosses. We need to honour uh, our word uh, and our promises to them to show honesty and, and uh, honesty and integrity in our employment, to put in the time that we're required to work. And, you know, don't shortchange the people that you work for. Nehemiah is a good example <clears throat> of doing the right thing. He honoured the king by what he said and by what he did. Verse 6 of Nehemiah 2, Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take? And when will you get back? 
it pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. And when that time came, Nehemiah returned. For an unspecified period, some say it could have been about two years. Then he came back to Jerusalem and he found the people in the state that we have here in chapter 13. <clears throat> he found the people in a very dishonouring and disappointing state. And again, it seems to me that one of the, one of the factors being the absence of godly leadership, <clears throat> strong leadership. Moses experienced the same thing, a similar thing in Exodus chapter 32 when we read these words. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, let us uh, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't even know what's happened to him. And when Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem, he sees this, this same kind of contributing factor of his absence uh, and, and he's greatly disturbed. Look, for example, in, in chapter 13, verses 4 and 5, we read this. Before this, Eliashib the priest had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of, God, of our God. He was closely associated with Tobiah. And he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles and also the tithes of grain, new wine and oil prescribed for the Levites, singers and gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. And then in verse 7 and 9 we read, Here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased, and I threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms, and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. Now, Elisha, as a leader with any godly leadership qualities, and even though he was the high priest in Judah, he was a, he was a desperately poor example. He treated with contempt the house of God. He compromised his leadership by having a close association with one of Israel's enemies, Tobiah. Now, Tobiah and Sanballat were friends. We also discover in verse 28, Sanballat's daughter was married to one of Elisha's relatives. So what's all the significance of, of this? Well, let's be reminded who Sanballat and Tobiah were and what they did. Let's go back to Nehemiah 4 again and verses 7 and 8. It says this, But when Sanballat, Tobiah and the Arabs, the Ammonites and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come against uh, and to fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. So it was... It was no wonder that Nehemiah was so angry and upset with Eliashib's poor uh, and compromising leadership. So much damage was done. And for these kinds of reasons, how essential that when God's people are God's appointed leaders, and that means leadership in your own families, you know, in our, in our schools, in our universities and workplaces, wherever, God places in our churches, of course, when God appoints us, 
that we lead the people in his ways, in his ways. Therefore, how important that we know what his ways are. And I'd like to share more on that later on. But listen to what the writer to the Hebrews says about godly leadership. In Hebrews 13, verses 7, it says this, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And verse 17 of Hebrews 13 says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. And if you're in Christian leadership, you know that's true. You know that is so true. And this is true too in, uh, in what Fred Smith says in his book called Leading with Integrity. Um, he says this about leadership in the church. He said, if we are to do God's work, God's way, we must start with character. Christian leaders need to examine themselves so that with the Apostle Paul they can say, follow me as I follow Christ. Unfortunately, we're not as conscious of our character flaws as we are of our inadequacies in the area, areas of knowledge and experience. He goes on and says, in my 60 years in business, nobody has said I have a flawed character. It's much easier to admit a lack of skill than to admit a character weakness. Yet from 75 to 80% of the failures I've seen, I have been, uh, sorry, I've seen it has been character failures. He goes on, he says, the church must be involved in character building, helping men and women to grow into the maturity of Christ. Leaders are responsible for modelling and encouraging character and integrity. So, again, how critical is for us in the church to have godly and God-appointed leaders in all areas of service and who exhibit and desire to see forged in others uh, these Christ-like qualities of leadership. And I wonder if you're willing for God to put his hand on you for leadership, if you're not already in that role. Be it here at SDBC or in any other part of God's kingdom's work. Can I also ask you these questions? I want you, I want you to reflect on these following questions as well, just to have a think about this prayerfully. Um, what mission field are you already in? Do you see your place of residence, your, your place of work, school, uni, TAFE, college? Do you see these places as your mission field? Because I believe it is. Are you willing for God to continue to build and forge your character? Even though it be painful at times, and it is. And... What might God have for you in the future as you faithfully serve him now with what you've been assigned to? Whatever it might be. You might think it's menial. It's not to God. If God's put you there, it's for a purpose. What might he have for you in the future? You know, and I ask these things because in the parable of the talents, remember what the master said to his faithful servants? Matthew 25, 21, it says this. His master replied, Well done, Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. 
You might think that you're only doing a few things at the moment. Well, that may be exactly what God wants you to do. He wants you to be faithful in what he's called you to do in your leadership role. And then who knows, in due course, he may put you in charge of many things, but he wants you to be faithful with what he's given you to do. And you know, it's not even a, it's not even a matter of feeling that, you've, that you're ready and you're willing and you're able for leadership role. Um, I don't believe that many true leaders ever feel ready and able, uh, but more inadequate and reluctant. You know, because there is a cost. There's a cost to leadership, particularly Christian leadership. You ask the Christian leaders, there's a cost. But God is looking for faithful and trustworthy servants. Might you be one of them? Listening to this, watching this right now. Nehemiah 13 is a good example of, of what can happen to a body of God's people who are not being led by trustworthy and faithful leadership. The other thing that I just want to touch on briefly uh, regarding leadership and character building comes into this as well is that if we don't get things right in terms of our own relationship with the Lord, in terms of our own walk with Him, our, again, our own relationship with Him, in our, our relationship with His Word and in our lives, then I do believe that worldly compromises can very easily creep in to your life and into the church. This also applies to, to our family life as well. We need to be right with God. We need to be going on with God, loving Him, spending time in His Word, listening to Him, walking with Him every day. In Nehemiah 13, the very things that the Israelites promised to do were the very things that they failed to do. And I don't believe it all happened the very day that Nehemiah left and went back to Persia. Listen to what Oswald Chambers wrote. He says, Today the world has taken so many things out of the church and the church has taken so many things out of the world that it's difficult to know where you are. Today the world has so infiltrated the church <clears throat> says Vance Havner, that we are more beset by traitors within than by foes without. And he says this, <clears throat> Satan is not fighting churches, he's joining them. He's joining them. I mean, wow, uh, what a sobering thought that is. And you know, the thing is this, it all happens gradually. In the most part, it's not clearly, blatantly obvious, but it happens subtly. This might seem like a little bit of a weird illustration, but it's a bit like a person being overcome by carbon monoxide poisoning. Um, it creeps into your body silently, gradually and unnoticeably. And often people are unaware, but slowly, they're being poisoned and are suffocating. Not only were we taught and trained about this in the QAS, but sadly, we saw it happen firsthand a number of times. Um, some were deliberate acts of self-harm, others were not. But in nearly all the cases, the person affected 
by carbon monoxide poisoning looked quite deceptively pink and healthy um, on the outside, you know, and well oxygenated. But the reality is that on the inside, they were sick and dying. And sadly, some had died. Um, spiritually, spiritually, this illustrates how compromising your walk with the Lord for the ways of the world can cause your fire in the Lord to grow dim or just go out. It can cause you to start feeling sick. And, and, and in fact, the world will poison you on the inside as well, uh, just like carbon monoxide does. But certainly makes your fire start to glow dim or it just goes out. I believe the Apostle Paul was fully aware of this danger and, and for believers. And, and therefore, he wrote to the Roman believers saying things like this. Therefore, I listen to these words. Therefore, I urge you. And it is urgent. We need to get this. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. Nehemiah is a true inspiration of what godly leadership really looks like. And one who kept the fire burning for God in his own life. And in summary, um, let me just share these four things. In summary, Nehemiah was a man who was earnest in prayer. He was passionate in his personal faith in God. He was dependent on God's grace alone. And he was conscious of his accountability to God. In all that he endured and achieved, never did the flame dim in his life. And may you and I seek to be imitators of, of a lifestyle like his. And the final thing I'd like to share with you is, is what Warren Wiersbe says. And he has this little illustration. He says, during the French Revolution, a man was seen running down the street after a mob, moving quickly into danger. Stop, stop, somebody cried out. Don't follow that mob. As the man continued to run, he called back. I have to follow them. I'm their leader. <laughs> Nehemiah Go, this is Warren Rusby goes on, he says, Nehemiah was certainly not that kind of leader. He wasn't afraid of danger, but he was wise in his plans and careful in his decisions. The church today could use leaders like Nehemiah. We have a lot of rubbish to remove and ash and rebuilding to accomplish before the world will believe that our God is real and our message is worth believing. It's been great to go through this book and trust that God has spoken to your heart over the weeks that we've been traveling this road in Nehemiah together. Let's just pray together as we close the service. Father, thank you for your word to us today. Thank you for Nehemiah. Thank you for his uh, leadership style, his, his, the, the way he models a godliness to us. And we pray that you will help us as your people to Lord 
be open to you, to be led by you, to continue to grow in, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, as the Apostle Peter calls us to do. So help us, we pray, for the rest of this day, uh, evening, for the week that lies ahead, that you help give us a heart that, that's spurred on by your Spirit, that would love you and grow in you, and that we would spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So go with us, Lord, we pray. Continue to forge character in us, even though it be painful most times. Help us, we pray, to be open, faithful uh, servants of yours, led and directed and kept in step by the Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.